Judges, the ninth chapter. I want to share on the ministry of an armor bearer. The ministry of the armor bearer in Old Testament warfare. And I want to bring that ministry, the ministry of the armor bearer in Old Testament warfare to the ministry of the armor bearer in New Testament warfare. In the Old Testament, anytime Israel went to battle, the king was not only given an armor for war, he was assigned with an armor bearer. No king ever went to battle without an armor bearer. No captain went into war without armor and an armor bearer. And the officers of the army, when they went to war, when they went to battle, they were assigned an armor bearer as well as an armor. And I nearly co-authored a book on armor bearers because of God raising armor bearers up in my ministry and in my life. And then there was a book that came out here a few years ago, and it really disappointed the armor bearer in my ministry and my heart that somebody beat us to the, to the punch. And if you're familiar with that book, I do want to recommend it. I haven't read it. Others in my ministry have, and we've used it in our youth camps and things like that. So I understand that that book is a blessing. But if you've read that book, please pay attention to what I have to say because I'm not coming from the position of reading a book or listening to somebody else. I'm sharing from a position of conviction and experience. As I have received of the Lord, so give I unto you. This ministry has been vital to my ministry and spiritual warfare. It's been vital to our church and the success that we're having in God's kingdom in fighting a good fight. Do you understand that we're in a fight? Amen. Boy, you're ahead of a lot of people if you understand that. It doesn't really matter if you understand it, believe it, or even know it. It's still happening. There's a fight going on, and it's a dog fight. And you better learn how to do effective warfare if you want to prosper in your geographical area. If you... Whoa, hallelujah. Oh, don't do... I'm about to get excited. I didn't expect that. I'm telling you right now, we are all facing warfare, whether we understand it or not. And any church that's going to take the city... Any church that's going to have an impact, and I mean make a difference. I'm not talking about the church world at large that's paralytic, lethargic, and comatose. I'm talking about the church that's on the move. I'm talking about the people of God that are in tune with God, that care about people, that are about their Father's business, establishing His kingdom on the earth. I'm talking about people that are preaching God's kingdom. Do you know nowhere are we taught and told to build the church in the Bible? We're not taught and told and commanded to build the church we're taught to preach the gospel of the kingdom and to minister kingdom principles and Jesus will build his church. Jesus will add to the church daily such as should be saved. What we're responsible for is ministering about another kingdom. There's a kingdom on earth. There's a kingdom that came in the person of Jesus Christ and after the resurrection is coming to the hearts of a company of people that are going into all the world and infecting it with this good news of the reign of Christ. Hallelujah. The reign of God. And there's a company of people on the earth that are about their father's business. And those churches are prospering and being built because the kingdom is being preached. Amen. And so in that there is a fight. In that there is a battle. And for years I struggled with Old Testament warfare. I mean I had a hard time reconciling that stuff. And I'm going to be honest with you about this. And you know, people laugh at you when you tell them the truth and you, you're just gut honest and, and they criticize and uh, scrutinize and things like that. But how many of you know if we had 500 hours of honesty on you, we could laugh at you too, amen? <laughs> amen. I guarantee it. If we got 500 hours on tape of you and you were being honest, we would find some quirks in you too. Well, 
I had a quirk in me of trying to reconcile this Old Testament violence. I mean, the Old Testament warfare was bloody, saints. It was vicious. It was violent. It was gory. You know, we hear about violence today, and we should hear about violence today. And we're real hard on Hollywood, and we should be, I think, harder on Hollywood and these video games and all that kind of stuff and, and the TV and the violence that's on there. Don't misunderstand me. I think we need to make a stand against that stuff, and it's sad how they're polluting and diluting our culture. But you don't know what violence is till you read the Bible. And if we're going to be honest, I mean, I, I can remember struggling telling the Bible stories to my children, especially my oldest daughter. My oldest daughter, Shekinah, is very demonstrative. And she loves stories. She used to beat on my chest in the morning, waking me up, saying, tell me a story. I just want to hear a story. What story do you want to hear? I don't care. Any story. Just tell me a story. And at night, I would tell her stories. And I don't believe in watering things down. I believe we ought to teach them right. And when it comes to David and Goliath, that thing is violent. That thing is gory. It ain't some little bitty boy throwing a rock at a thug and knocking him down, and everybody got excited. Now, this, this boy throws a rock at a thug, yes. Knocks him down, yes. But then the Bible says he climbed on top of that giant and pulled his sword out of his sheath and cut his head off. Cut his head off. And he held up his head. And that's when everybody started shouting and hollering and the Philistines started running. There's blood gushing out everywhere. He took that head around with him everywhere he went. He took it and showed it to Saul. We're carrying a head of a giant around. I'm sure when he came home, he held that thing up and said, Look, Ma, no hands. <laughs> Violent. You tell her about Elijah and how Elijah was a man of God. And he stood for righteousness in his culture. He stood against the prophets of Baal. He stood against immorality. He stood against the evil of his hour. And he felt like he was all alone, sort of like I have felt like I've been all alone at times, trying to stand against the immorality in our government in this hour. And yet somebody is supposed to stand up and speak the truth in love and stand for righteousness and preach God's kingdom and righteousness that it might be established in people's heart. And yet sometimes you feel like you're the only one that understands the deadliness that we have subjected ourselves to in this nation and the consequences and repercussions that we still may face because of embracing immorality. And so you tell your daughter about Elijah, how he was a man of God, and he stood up and spoke the truth, and he mocked. Well, we shouldn't be judgmental. He mocked the prophets of Baal. Yes, he did. Well, I just don't believe we should judge, brother. You just did. You just did. And unfortunately, your judgment is unsound and unrighteous. We need to make good, sound judgments if we're going to prevail in this last day. And so you're teaching your daughter how he stood up and fire came down and consumed the altar of God and licked up all the water in the ditch. And all of Israel fell in the dirt and started repenting. She's shouting and hollering, all right, is that the end? No, he took those false prophets, every one of them, down to the, down to the river and slew them. That's in your Bible. It's in there. I remember even trying to tell her about Jonah. And let's tame this one down as best we can. But how many of you know, God said go north and he went south. Amen. I don't know if I got my directions straight, but I made my point, I think. I don't know if Nineveh was north or not. But God said go over there and he went that way, okay? Just in case you're a Bible scholar. And so now, man, consequences have come from disobedience and rebellion to God. And it created a storm. And the men began to seek their false gods. And he's asleep in the bottom of the ship and... Their false gods aren't answering, and they go down in the ship and say, Are you, you, Have you prayed? Have you called out to your God? Oh, yeah, I'm the reason this happened. <laughs> Feed this dude to the fish, amen. And 
they grabbed that dude and they didn't really want to do it, but Jonah said, you know, just, just get rid of me and this thing will pass. And they threw him overboard and a fish ate him. How do you water that down? That's violent. Have you ever thought about that? A big fish went, ate him. How many of you know the fish obey God? After three days of, of Jonah going to whale seminary, a splash course in obedience, he found repentance in his heart, amen. And he began to praise God out of the belly of a whale, and God spoke to the whale, and I told my kids, every time I've told them this story, if the animals have enough sense to obey God, we ought to. The fish went to Nineveh. And when he got there, he vomited him up on the beach. He went, spit him out on the beach. He was bleached out and stunk to high heaven, no bathroom for three days. I'm telling it like it is. I guarantee you when he come running into Nineveh hollering, repent, white as a ghost, smelling to high heaven, I guarantee you them people repented, amen? He scared the devil right out of them, amen? You read Joshua, how he's possessing the land. And I want you to listen to me carefully. This used to bother me. It still does in some ways. I want you to hear my heart on this. God would say, I want you to go into the city. And I believe it's Joshua 10. You can check this out. I know it's in the book of Joshua. But in Joshua chapter 10, I believe it's that chapter that it amplifies over and over again everything that had breath was slain. That's the women. That's the babies. And it says it over and over and over. Those things troubled me. And then how do I reconcile this with New Testament? Because in a lot of churches that claim to be Christians but don't preach the Bible, you would think that warfare died and passed away with the last apostle. And yet why did God put all this in here? There's a reason for it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we know that warfare hadn't ended. He said the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. In, in Ephesians chapter 6, the Bible says, Finally, brethren, put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah for at least settling that in my heart. My fight with God is over. That was accomplished at Calvary. God is not against me. He is for me. And if God be for me, who can be against me? My fight with God's over. My war with God is over. He has forgiven me, cleansed me, perfected me in Christ, sanctified me and made me the righteousness of God in Jesus. My battle with God's over. I don't fight with God anymore. Hallelujah. And my battle and fight with man is over. I will not strive with man. I will live, Romans chapter 12 says, as much as it is possible within me, I will live at peace with all men. I am at peace with everybody. I have no ought in my heart. I have no war raging. I'm at peace with everybody. Now, everybody ain't at peace with me. And everybody wasn't at peace with Jesus either. And everybody wasn't at peace with Paul either. Woe unto you if all men speak well of you, for so did they the false prophets. There's some people ain't going to like us, they're never going to like us, and there ain't nothing you can do about it. And that's part of the Christian faith and expression of this new life. There are people that resist and rebel against this new life of Christ. They always have to a degree. Some always will. So I'm, I'm at peace with all men as much as lies within me, but not all men are at peace with me. I will not strive with flesh and blood any longer. I'm not going to argue with anybody over anything. I'm not going to be dogmatic over anything. I'm not going to push anything. I'm not going to manipulate. I'm not going to war with flesh and blood. If I got something from God and you want to hear it, I'm going to give it to you. If you don't, I'm going on down the trail. Hallelujah. There's somebody waiting to receive. Can I get a witness? I ain't going to fight and fuss with people. I ain't going to fight and fuss with churches. And you want to fight. You know you want to fight. You've got to fight in you. If you don't believe it, go to church. People want to fight. They just need to learn what the fight is. They need to learn how to fight, when to fight. You've got to know when to pick a fight. 
uh, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, that he was to war a good warfare as a good soldier. Man, we're called soldiers for Christ Jesus. We're in a warfare. We're in a battle. It's for real. And yet God's people are living in a drunken stupor of ignorance and allowing the enemy to take over our homes, take over our communities, take over our, our nation. And yet you're supposed to be fighting a good fight. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, I fought a good fight. I kept the faith. I finished my course. How many churches start off fighting a good fight? How many churches start off with a vision? How many churches start off on fire? How many churches start off and begin to impact the city and something happens that they don't understand, but I'm here to tell you there are spiritual forces behind those things, and unless you learn to press through those things, unless you learn to fight a good fight, you won't finish your course. It ain't enough that you guys started. It ain't enough that you had an impact. It ain't enough that you touched the city because you haven't and you've done good. But there's more for you. And you're not finished. If you're finished, let's lock the doors. Let's close it up. Y'all come on down to Duran. I'm not finished. I don't believe you're finished. I don't believe God's purposes are totally fulfilled. And if you don't know how to fight, when to fight, and what fight to pick, Satan's going to have you over here messing around with stuff that aren't going to mean a hill of beans to the purposes of God. He's going to have you warring with the wrong thoughts. He's going to have you warring with the wrong problems. See, let me tell you something about the devil. He has a bombing campaign against all believers. He has a bombing campaign of thoughts and the warfare of the mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 talks about that bombing cam campaign of vain imaginations, of high things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God and strongholds. He has a bombing campaign against every church in the world. And he will bombard their minds with things to distract them from the real fight. But let me tell you something. When a church gets turned on to Jesus Christ and has a passion for the Lord and has a burning vision on the inside of them that cannot be denied, cannot be quenched, then Satan commits ground troops against those bodies of believers. And I'm telling you, in the spirit world, it's a bloody fight. It's a bloody fight. In Joshua, Joshua has those five kings that came against him that bound together in covenant and them... Stinking leaders ran up in that cave and tried to hide. And Joshua went and cleaned house. He put a rock over that, over that cave, if you'll recall. He went and cleaned house. Then he came back and took the rock away. And he, he laid every one of those kings before his officers. And he put his heel on their neck and slayed them. I wonder how many churches have known just enough and committed just enough to warfare to knock the enemy down to do a little damage and then get overexcited about a little damage and not put their heel on the head and throat of the enemy and slay that thing and end it. And end it so you can go forward. So you can have an impact on your schools. So you can have an impact on your government. We've allowed too many giants to get hit with our little rocks and get back up and come after us. We've allowed too many kings to escape us because we're not about our father's business and preaching the kingdom and we're getting off on this issue and getting off on that issue and not fighting a good fight. God doesn't will that for our lives. He wills for us in these days to be focused, to be lasered on His divine purpose and a vision and commit to that thing and, and pick that fight. Hallelujah. Pick the right fight. I only had one good fight my whole life. You know what a good fight is, don't you? It's one you win. You don't never say, even when you got a favorite fighter and they fight, 
If, you're, if your fighter loses, did you ever notice that wasn't a good fight? You don't go around talking about what a good fight that was. But if your man wins the fight, what was it? It's a good fight. Isn't that right? I only had one good fight, but I learned so much from it. I've grown from it. I used to be thin, and, and people took advantage of me. <laughs> I did. Some of you are looking at me like used to be. You should have saw me before I OD'd on steroids, amen? I had one good fight, and that was the only fight I can truthfully say that before I even entered it, I counted the cost. I counted the cost of that fight, and I predetermined in my heart, I will die before I'll lose this fight. I commit my entire life to this fight, and that was the best fight I ever had. It was awesome, saints. It was incredible, and it was a good fight because I won and she nearly beat me. <laughs> I'll hit the rest of you later. My reputation was on the line, and I purposed in my heart, I can't lose this fight. If I lose this fight, my name will be mud forever. You know, I really wonder how many people know what's going on, Pastor. I really wonder if they know what kind of fight we've gotten into here and how the enemy is arrayed tremendously against us in this culture. I'm looking at out over the crowd, and I'm not putting any of the elders. I'm to respect you and to honor you, those of you that are elder than I am. But I'm telling you, as I look out over the crowd and I see the senior citizens that are here tonight, I'm telling you, it's a different world that we're in now that you were brought up in. Things were bad enough back then, but this culture is corrupt. It's corrupt. And there are spiritual powers that are gaining momentum that are for real, that desire to destroy the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't get a hold of what I'm saying about how that the fight really isn't with the people, though Satan uses systems like God uses systems, and Satan uses people like God uses people, my warfare is not with people, but I better learn how to deal with spiritual powers that are resisting the divine purpose of God for me personally and for my church if I'm going to reach the city. If we're going to see our schools, I mean, we haven't seen nothing. And guns are not the problem. I guarantee you, there's people in here again. You've owned a gun your whole life, and you've never had a thought to kill anybody. I've owned guns all my life, and I've never had a thought to kill anybody. My kids have been around guns all their life. Guns aren't killing people. People are killing people. Problem's not guns, and it ain't going to be solved by taking our guns away from us. The problem's in the heart of man. And then spiritual powers taking advantage of the ignorance of men. We have a serious situation in our culture, and we got to get in the fight. Well, I believe this man is of God and has a vision for this house and for this city. And I believe he was sent by the Father to accomplish a purpose. And unless he puts on the whole armor of God, and unless the ministry of the armor bearer is in place... Satan can defeat the divine purposes of God even through an anointed and an appointed warrior. The armor bearer carried the shield into battle. The armor bearer protected the king. The armor bearer was the rear guard to the king, to the captain. The armor bearer was loyal unto death. The armor bearer had no private personal agenda. The armor bearer had sold their life out to serving the leader, the king. It was unheard of to turn an armor bearer against the king. He never had to worry about the armor bearer being for him or against him. 
He never had to wonder if the armor bearer was going to be there in the heat of the battle. And I'm telling you, the ministry of the armor bearer has been so lacking in the body of Christ that men of God are having a hard time going forward doing warfare because they're having to guard their backside totally. I mean, you know, if you're looking back, you ain't looking forward. In, in Judges, let's look at some armor bearers here real quick and their ministry to the kings. This is a battle that Abimelech is raging and warring, and there's nothing we can learn from Abimelech personally except don't do anything like Abimelech did. Just an ungodly king. But he had an armor bearer. And I want you to notice the ministry of this armor bearer. Judges chapter 9 verse 50. Then went Abimelech to Thebes and encamped against Thebes and took it. Verse 51 of Judges 9. But there was a strong tower within the city and thither fled all the men and women and all they of the city and shut it to them and got them up to the top of the tower. And Abimelech came into the tower and fought against it and went hard unto the floor of the tower to burn it with fire. Got the picture? Everybody's up in this tower, and this king, Abimelech, is going to just burn the thing down. Verse 53 says, Then a certain woman cast a piece of milestone upon Abimelech's head, and all to break his skull. It's not a pebble. This is a boulder. And it's a fatal wound. It broke his skull. It's fatal. Verse 54 says, Then he called hastily unto the young man his armor bearer, and said unto him, Draw thy sword and slay me, that men say not of me a woman slew him. And his young man thrust him through, and he died. I want you to understand, in their culture, it would have been a dishonor to die at the hands of a woman. And this is a fatal wound. There's no getting out of this. He knows he's dying. And rather than die at the hands of a woman, he looks over at his armor bearer and says, Slay me, that it not be said of me I... I died at the hands of a woman. You talk about things to learn about armor bearers, about warfare, about how to fight a battle and how things should go. Number one, I find it amazing that the armor bearer was right there in the heat of the battle. I find it amazing that the armor bearer, the people who say they're going to war with you, was right there in the heat of the battle. You know, everybody hooks up with you in the good times. Everybody hooks up with you in the blessings. Everybody hooks up in you when there's dancing and prancing. Let's cut a rug for Jesus. It's camp meeting. Hallelujah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't hurt yourself jumping out of the balconies. Yeah, glory to God. But what about when we hit a hard time? What about when the ship catches on fire? Do you know this is a natural fact? When a ship catches on fire, it's the rats that leave first. That's the truth. That's a fact. I'm with you, Pastor. I'm for you, brother. First thing that goes wrong, first mistake. How many of you know men of God are not perfect? Is that all of you that know that? They're not perfect. They make mistakes. First mistake made, first stump hit, first hard time, the rats start bailing ship. It's sort of like an undertaker that used to come to my church told me. He said, Brother Dwayne, I know you've been through some hard times, but I promise you, I promise you before God, I'll be the last one to let you down. Yeah. <laughs> one of the few that told me the truth. See, the ministry of the pallbearer is flourishing in the church, but the ministry of the armor bearer is lacking. Some of you got an anointing to be a pallbearer. You've led a lot of men of God down over the years. I'm not condemning you. 
I'm not casting any stones, got no axe to grind with nobody trying to preach the truth in love. We need to get out of the pallbearer ministry in our churches, and we need to get in the armor bearer ministry. I'm going to carry my pastor's shield into battle. I'm going to be his rear guard. I'm going to protect. I'm going to guard. I'm going to give my life for this thing and be a part. And when the battle starts, God forbid, I'd be one of the rats that leave the ship. Number two, the man that was the armor bearer cared as much about the honor of the man of God as the man of God himself. That's a powerful truth about the ministry of helps in the church and about the elders. The elders have got to care about the man of God's honor as much as the man of God cares about his honor. Do you know how important honor is in the ministry and in the warfare? We have lost many battles because of our ignorance. We had no idea. We had no idea how powerful honor was in the church and how we're under commandment to honor authorities that be. We're even under commandment to honor natural authorities to be. How much more spiritual authorities that are the bishops of your soul? Yet people have sat around after church at the dinner table right in front of their kids and roast the pastor. Absolutely dishonor him. Butcher him alive. Put him down. Critique him. Right in front of the kids. Just dishonor the man of God. Not realizing the power of honor in the church. Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, that's where Jesus in his own, own hometown could do no mighty work, save he laid his hands on a few sick folk. And then he marveled because of their unbelief and he went about their villages teaching and preaching the kingdom of God. Do you know I've heard taught and I'm not countering it. I'm in agreement with it. Did you hear that part? I'm agreeing with what I've heard taught about how unbelief hindered the power of God. I believe that unbelief does hinder the power of God. And I believe their unbelief hindered God from manifesting His love and will for their life. But let me tell you what the root of the unbelief was. Let's go back a little further. Let's go to the root. If you want to do good warfare and you want truth, you've got to go to the root. And you've got to take the axe to the root. Unbelief is a problem. Yes, it was a problem there. But what was the root? Jesus told you what the root was in verse 4. He said, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, among his own kin, and in his own house. They dishonored Him. They refused to honor Him. And that hindered the power of God. They dishonored the Son of God and it hindered the power of God. It's no accident the media dishonors men of God on a habitual basis. It's no accident that Hollywood dishonors preachers at an unprecedented rate. It's no accident in our culture that Satan has skillfully put into the hearts of even God's people the ability to dishonor the man of God. God forbid that we would honor the man of God. If you come anywhere near honoring a man of God in our culture, you'll be accused as being a cult. That's how far we are from honor. We don't even know what it is anymore. And it's hindering the power of God and the purposes of God. Satan desires, amen, Satan desires above all things to dishonor this man. He desires above all things to dishonor him in your heart somehow. I've seen it. I've seen it happen in warfare. I've seen people come to victory, and if everybody will leave them alone, they'll think I hung the moon. And I'll be a blessing to them, and I'll just speak into their life, and God will be changing their life. And directly, Satan will see to it that somebody comes along and dishonors me. Sows that thought in their mind. Well, you know, Brother Dwayne ain't all he is cut out to be. Did you hear about? No, I didn't hear about that. T tell me about that. Not even realizing that Satan is dishonoring that authority in your life, not to hurt the authority, but to hinder your ability to receive from that man of God. 
He will desire to uncover every flaw of a man of God and he'll skillfully use the media. He'll use government. He'll use, he'll use brethren that are questionable concerning that word brethren because it will take honor. Now, if this man or I seek honor from men, we can't operate in faith. But without the honor of man, we can't accomplish the purposes of God. We seek God's honor. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and found honor with and favor with God and man. You have to have favor with men and the honor of men to speak into their lives. I have to have favor in order to speak into your lives. And this is one of Satan's weapons against us. He wants to rob us of any favor, any honor, that the purposes of God might be denied in your life. A church needs to learn to honor the man of God. I'm not talking about worshiping men. I'm not talking about getting out of balance now and exalting man and all that kind of thing. But we're so scared of that stuff. Again, Satan has skillfully in our culture taught us to dishonor our parents, dishonor our teachers, dishonor the law, dishonor government. And you think for one minute we got any honor for the pastor? He's winning the warfare. He's winning the warfare. You better teach your kids. Do you know your kid's first commandment with promise is to honor your father and your mother? God says to you that have children, Ephesians chapter 6, this is your first commandment to your children to honor their father and their mother and to obey them that it may be well with them and that they may live long on the earth. Do you know that used to puzzle me? It's the first commandment with promise. When you read the Ten Commandments, how many of you know honoring your mother and father was the fifth commandment? Isn't that right? That appears to be a contradiction in terms. Fifth commandment under the Old Testament. Ephesians 6 says it's the first commandment. How many of you know if a child at an early age doesn't learn how to honor his parents, he'll never honor the Lord his God. He'll never honor his teachers. He'll never honor the laws of the land. You're doing your children a disservice if you don't teach them before they're five years old to honor you and to obey you. Oh, I wish I could teach on that. That's important. This stuff isn't happening in our schools by accident. Satan has skillfully raised up an entire generation that dishonors their parents, dishonors authorities that be, and certainly dishonors the men of God in our culture. That's a battle. This armor bearer cared about the honor of the man of God and obeyed and submitted and thrust him through with the sword. That's a miracle. Now let's look at Saul's armor bearer in 1 Samuel. Go to 1 Samuel 31. And it appears to be the opposite situation. 1 Samuel 31. Saul is in a battle and he has an armor bearer. In Saul's ministry he had at least two armor bearers. One was David. David was a great armor bearer before he became king. Most good leaders were good followers before they became good leaders. In 1 Samuel chapter 31 there's a battle going on. They're, they're fighting again. The enemies of God, the Philistines. Verse 2 says that the Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons. And the Philistines slew Jonathan and Abinadab and Melchishua, Saul's sons. And the battle went sore against Saul and the archers hit him. And he was sore wounded of the archers. Then said Saul unto his armor bearer. Same situation. Watch this. It appears. Draw your sword. Thrust me through therewith. Lest... These uncircumcised come and thrust me through, 
and underline this, and abuse me, and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell upon it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell likewise upon his sword and died with him. So Saul died and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men that same day together. And when the men of Israel that were on the other side of the valley and they that were on the other side of Jordan saw that the men of Israel fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled. And the Philistines came upon or came and dwelt in them. Now I want you to notice that when Saul was dead and his army that was fighting that particular battle, Israel fled. You've got to remember that. It's important. Everybody fled. Now, you got this battle going on. Saul's boys are killed. Saul is wounded with archers. That's bow and arrow. And he looks at his armor bearer, who I would like to say is right in the heat of the battle. The armor bearer was right with the, the king in the heat of the battle. He's right there. Saul didn't have to wonder where he was. Are you still with me? You said you'd be with me. He was right there with him in the heat of the battle. Number two, it says that Saul feared being abused. He said, I don't want them to kill me and abuse me. Evidently, this wasn't a fatal wound. Evidently, it wasn't a fatal wound. And remember, all he's got to draw off of, he's, he's Israel's first king, so all he's got to draw off of is the judges, and he remembers what they did to Samson. He remembers how the, how the Philistines defiled them when they captured any leader and abused them. He remembered how they burned... A, Samson's eyeballs out. How many of you know that's violent? Sin will blind you, won't it? How many of you know he lost all his anointing, which was his strength? Sin will rob you of the anointing. How many of you know he became nothing but a glorified ox treading out corn? Sin's deadly, amen? It's just deadly. He says, kill me. I don't want him to abuse me. And it says that the armor bearer was sore afraid. Now that bothered me. In my research of armor bearers, armor bearers were fearless. Armor bearers were fearless warriors and they were specifically picked because of their courage and their loyalty unto death. And here it says this guy was sore afraid. I looked that word afraid up in the Hebrew and guess what it means? It is a sister word to the word translated fear in the Bible that's the fear of the Lord. It's not a tormenting fear. It's not a demonic fear. It's the fear of the Lord. It says in the Hebrew this word afraid means reverence, respect, solely respected and honored. He so respected the man of God. He so reverenced Saul's authority and his position because it wasn't a fatal wound, you are not going to die at my hands. He wasn't afraid with a tormenting fear. And the reason I know he wasn't afraid with a tormenting fear is if he was scared, how come when Saul killed himself, he didn't flee with the other Israelites that fleed? He wasn't afraid at all with the tormenting fear. And why did he take his own life if he was afraid in the heat of the battle? He wasn't afraid. He had a, a reverence for the man of God. He honored the man of God and this was not a fatal wound and you're not going to die at my hands. Boy, that the armor bearers, that elders and deacons and youth pastors and associates and assistant pastors who all stand in the role of an armor bearer, oh, that they would purpose in their heart that if the man of God dies, it will not be at my hands. That's not the mentality of most churches. Most deacon boards are the fight that you've got to fight that's a bad fight. If we could fight against principalities as often and vicious as we do with deacon boards, 
Well, say amen or oh me. I was hoping you'd shout, and then I'd know I'm not touching a sore spot here. Man, in some of these churches, I believe if Jesus came, he wouldn't have taught us to cast out demons, but cast out deacons. And I'm not making a blanket, I'm not making a blanket statement. There's got to be a couple deacons in here, probably the ones that are looking at me kind of funny right now. I'm not, I'm not putting deacons down. But you, you, I know I look 12 years old with a beard, but I've been around. And I'm telling you what, you'd be shocked at how the purposes of God are being absolutely destroyed because of people in authority that don't have a heart for God and don't have a heart for the purpose of God. They'll raise their hand against the anointed and the man of God at, at a heartbeat. And here's David, an armor bearer to Saul, who's anointed to be king already. And the hand of the Lord is off of Saul, and he's full of the devil, and he's trying to kill him, and yet he won't raise his hand against him. Yeah, but that pastor's just out of line. Is he throwing spears at you? Is he pursuing you to Guatemala trying to kill you? Don't answer out loud, obviously. We don't understand authority. We don't understand honor. This man would not lift his hand against the man of God. I'm sure he wanted to nurture him and protect him. That's what his, his whole ministry was, is to guard him, protect him. He was ready to fight against the armies of the Philistines. And when Saul died, I want you to notice how loyal this man was. He had no life of his own. He had no call of his own. He had no underlining purpose. He had no hidden agenda. Saul's dead. It's my turn, hallelujah. When Saul's dead, I got nothing to live for. I've given my life to guard this man. I've given my life to, to be his, his armor bearer, his defender, his protector, and he's dead now. I have no life of my own, and he ended his own life. That's pretty powerful. Go to 1 Samuel 14, and let's look at Jonathan's armor bearer. 1 Samuel 14. Oh, that God would raise up youth pastors who have no hidden agendas. Oh, that God would give us associates and assistants that are committed to God and willing to give their, their life for the cause of Christ in a local body. It just burdens my heart, saints, at how many churches I see devastated because of disorder in leadership. The people's heart just raped and destroyed because of all the, all the politics behind closed doors and all the hidden agendas and people like in the world trying to lord over each other and take ascendancy instead of taking upon them the form of a servant. I'm not, I'm not putting anybody down. I'm praying. I'm believing. I'm asking, oh God, give our churches armor bearers. Give us elders that will protect us, hallelujah, and defend us and be loyal unto death. In, in Jonathan's armor bearer, we see the rear guard in warfare. In 1 Samuel 14, verse 6, And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come, let us go over unto the garrison of the uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or a few. See, Saul has got 600 men here and he's, he's looking over the situation and assessing things and trying to figure out what he wants to do about this enemy. And while he's making his plans with his captains and his officers, his son and the armor bearer goes out to battle and they don't even know it. And the man of God, Jonathan, says to the armor bearer, it may be that the Lord will work with us. I'm not positive what the Lord's saying here, but he can save at the hand of two or 600. Let's, let's just go test this out. Look at what the armor bearer said in verse 7. And his armor bearer said unto him, do all that is in thine heart. Underline that. Do all that is in thine heart. What's in your heart? I'm here to help fulfill what's in your heart. 
I'm here to follow. I got an anointing to follow. You have an anointing to lead, sir. What's in your heart? If I can bear witness with what's in your heart, I'm going to hook up. He says, Turn thee, behold, I am with thee according to your heart. Then said Jonathan, Behold, we will pass over unto these men, and we will discover ourselves unto them. And if they say unto us, Tarry until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place. And they're hiding in caves here. And we'll not go up unto them. But if they say, Come up here unto us, then we will go up, for the Lord hath delivered them into our hand. And this shall be a sign unto us. And both of them discovered themselves unto the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews come forth out of the holes where they hid themselves. And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and, his, and said, Come up to us, and we will show you a thing. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me. Everybody say, After me. For the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet, and his armor-bearer after him. Everybody say, after him. And they fell before Jonathan. Everybody say, before Jonathan. And his armor-bearer slew after him. Everybody say, after him. Three times, and God wasn't trying to fill up the book. He's trying to ring the bell of our hearts to pay attention. Three times, he said that the armor-bearer was behind him and came up after him. He said one time, that Jonathan slew the Philistines where? Before him. Right? And the armor bearer slew them what? After him. See, in warfare, the man of God, the senior elder, the set man, whatever you call things, you got one leader. Now, you may have a plurality of elders. We have a plurality of elders in our ministry, but we've only got one head. I'm the one. They don't send the plurality of elders to jail if something's wrong. They send one guy. So I make the final decision. Amen. So, so I'm the set man. I'm the apostle of that work, the overseer, the bishop, pastor, senior elder. I sort of fall under a lot of those titles over that work. And I'm telling you, in warfare, I have learned how to defeat the enemy. You don't take a passive position. You don't take a defensive position with the devil. You charge the gates of hell. You charge the devil and you slay things before you. And you don't look back. And I have found, though, here's what happens. I'll charge the enemy, and I have yet to be defeated by an enemy I'm charging. In my entire ministry, I've not lost one battle in my hearing God. This is what I want you to do. And I charge that thing. I attack that thing. And by the grace of God and the anointing of God, I have slew the enemy before me. But here's what happens. As soon as the man of God attacks the true problem of a geographical area, starts to attack the true problem of a house, and let's deal with it at its root. I promise you the devil's a coward. I promise you he'll flee. He's a thief. He's a robber. He won't come to the gate. He won't come to the porter of the gate. He tries to come over the wall. What he does is he scatters and he circles and tries to come up the backside. And this is how he defeats most men of God. There are certain enemies that ensue the man of God that the armor bearers must slay so that the man of God can keep fighting the enemies that are before the church. That makes sense? If we don't put armor bearers in place and they're not appointed and anointed by God to be the rear guard, there are three major enemies that's killing churches across this nation. It'll kill this church if the armor bearers don't take care of it. It'll kill victory if my armor bearers don't take care of it because there's some enemies I'm not called to fight. I am called to charge the strong man. I go after the strong man. 
But then the enemies try to come in the backside, the cowards. And let me tell you, let me tell you three ground troops that are loosed on bodies of believers that are killing them all across this nation. And the armor bearers are in charge of slaying those. Number one, number one, criticism. Criticism. Every time the man of God hears God and tries to go forward, the criticism breaks out. The armor bearers have to take care of slaying those enemies. I can't stand up in this pulpit. This man can't stand up in this pulpit and defend himself and his actions on a, on a permanent basis. If I've got to come off of the wall to deal with the critics, we're not going to get it built. And we got a wall to build, saints. We got a city to reach. We got to build the gates. They're destroyed in our cities. And the man of God's got to get up on the wall and he can't keep coming down off the wall dealing with the criticism. Tobiah and Sambalit will always show up. They'll criticize the wall. Well, a fox could knock that wall down. Remember that in Nehemiah's day? Just criticism. I can't be dealing with criticism and defending myself. I'll get off track. I'll lose my vision and my focus. My armor bearers are in charge of dealing with criticism. That's an ensuing enemy trying to come up the back. And I've got to have a rear guard. I might not be able to tell you how to build a church. I know if you'll preach the kingdom, Jesus will build it. But I sure know how to kill one. I've learned how to kill them. Don't misunderstand me. I haven't killed any, but I've been traveling a lot. I've learned a lot from my friends. There's two ways you can kill a church. Number one, preach to problems. Because when you start preaching to all these problems, how many of you know the devil's leading your message, not God? Now, I'm not saying there aren't times you have to deal with a problem from the pulpit. I'm not saying that there aren't some problems that have to be dealt with and they need to be confronted publicly and dealt with. I'm, I'm talking about these brush fires of criticism. I'm talking about dealing with this little problem and dealing with that little problem. Before you know it, you're preaching to problems instead of ministering to people. Number two, number two, preach to the people that aren't there. You ever been to church and it seems like the preacher just keeps, keeps preaching to people that aren't there, that quit him? What about the ones that stuck with you? I better make sure I preach to the people that are, are there, not about the people that are gone. That'll kill it. I can't deal with the criticism. Can't be coming off the wall. I got to stay focused and go forward. My armor bearers have to take care of criticism. Number two, murmuring and complaining. It'll wear the man of God out. It made Moses, the greatest prophet of the Old Testament, suicidal. It did. It wore him out, the murmuring and complaining. It's never good enough. It's never right. It's never enough. And that constant underlying murmuring and complaining, I, murmur, even the word murmur, murmur, just wears on the man of God's heart. I got four tapes on murmuring and complaining. The most fascinating thing that happened in my ministry. I had this on my heart and I taught our body the root cause of murmuring and complaining and why God hates it so much and why His greatest judgments in the Old Testament came on murmuring and complaining. Because that fascinated me. It's like God put up with this and God put up with that and I'm thinking... He withheld his wrath over that issue and withheld his wrath over that issue. But boy, when they started murmuring and complaining, he sent snakes among them and bit them and they died by the thousands. I'm serious. He got upset over the murmuring and complaining. And I'm thinking, what is so bad about murmuring and complaining? Because people today, you ask them, we don't think it's any big deal. Our kids murmur and complain. We murmur and complain. It's deadly. The root of it is, is absolutely deadly. And God loves you so much. He hates that thing because it'll kill you. And I don't have time to tell you the root of it. Now that would just take too long and I won't get back. But I'm just telling you, the man of God can't deal, deal with the murmuring and complaining. And every church has it going on. And it really doesn't really get going good until you really get moving good. 
I mean, you ain't going to have no murmuring and complaining about not having a seed as long as your church is dying. But let God fill it up like He wants to do in these last days. And you'll have people literally complaining about losing their place and where they've been sitting and dying for 20 years. Oh, I can't believe we got to park on the back fort. Well, your church could die and you could park in a handicapped spot. Hello? Amazes me. Just... It'll wear the man of God out. He can't deal with it. It's the armor bearer's responsibility to deal with the root cause of murmuring and complaining. And you need to get those other tapes, find out what it is, and deal with it. And let the man of God keep preaching the truth in love. If you don't deal with murmuring and complaining, it'll kill your church. It's a ground truth that Satan sends into the house. It'll destroy it. It'll destroy it. The root, I'm going to tell you what the root of that one is because I'm, I'm mad at it. It's an unthankful heart. And an unthankful heart is the first step to apostasy. Romans chapter 1 says these people knew there was a God and they wouldn't glorify Him as God and they were unthankful. And He turned them over to a reprobate mind and they became foolish in their hearts and then gave them over to the appetites of their flesh to destroy themselves. That is His judgment on our rebellion against truth. An ungrateful heart. Our culture is full of unthankfulness, full of ungratefulness. And it'll kill you. It'll kill you. It'll absolutely kill you. You need to maintain a thankful heart. And don't be coming to my church complaining about not having a seat. We'll hang you from the chandelier, glory to God, till you get thankful. I'm glad you can't find a seat. I'm glad it's hard to find a parking spot. I'm glad that there ain't room enough for all of us. Hallelujah. I ain't going to sit and listen to that stuff, and I expect the armor bearers to take care of it. I expect them to guard my backside because that stuff will wear me out. Hallelujah. Number three, ground troop. As soon as the man of God charges the gates of hell, as soon as he charges strongholds in the community, accusations. Accusations. They'll surface. They'll surface every time. And the man of God can't deal with accusations. It'll derail him. The armor bearers are to deal with the accusations. You're supposed to defend the man of God. You're supposed to tell people to take their trash and peddle it down the street. You're not dumping it in my trash can. That is my pastor. That's the bishop of my soul. And the Bible says to receive not, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 19, receive not an accusation against an elder, but before, but before two or three witnesses. Well, did you hear what Pastor Dwayne did? No, but come on, let's go get two witnesses and him and let's stand before him and talk about it. Oh, 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 no, 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 I don't want to do that. I don't. You sit there and listen to people run your pastor down. You listen to accusations. It didn't even say receive not a false accusation. It said receive not an accusation, period, except before two or three witnesses. It'll kill a church. It's demonic. Satan's the accuser of the brethren. And we are so ignorant of God's word, we don't even recognize the fingerprints of the devil. And we sit there and yield our ear over to accusations against the man of God, not realizing that's Satan trying to destroy the house. He's coming up the backside. We need armor bearers that are loyal, fearless, that can in love look people right in the eye and say, you know what? I'm of a generation that's been in the desert for 40 years. Our carcasses aren't going to fall. We're entering our promised land, and I don't want to hear it. Come on, let's go talk to the pastor. Could be serious. Sounds like this is really bothering you. I guarantee you start. Where there is no tell-bearer, the strife ceases. Wood has to have fire. Or fire has to have wood. Excuse me. I, I'm having dyslexia of speech. <laughs> Accusations have to have a tell-bearer. They have to be fueled. And if you'll cut the fuel source off and not let people 
run the man of God down. They'll quit talking that trash if you'll quit listening to it. If you'll quit listening to it. Well, did you hear about our church? And I mean, we were on the cutting edge, but such and such. Uh-uh. We don't want to hear that stuff no more. That's water under the bridge. We're looking forward. We're pressing forward. We're forgetting those things which are past. And we're reaching forward under the things that are before. We're pressing on, saints, unto the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We don't want to hear about yesterday. We're too busy getting prepared for tomorrow. Hallelujah. That'll kill that stuff and your church will prosper. One more scripture and I'll, I'll let you go home. I don't know about you, but I'm pumped up. I'm going to have to backslide to go to sleep. <laughs> Ephesians 6. Ephesians chapter 6. I've been taught that there is no rear guard to the armor. I've been taught there, there is no rear guard. And while that is doctrinally incorrect... While that's biblically unsound, I'm here to tell you practically, that's the truth. There hadn't been no rear guard. And see, now don't misunderstand me. I'm sure you've had some good teaching. I'm not countering anybody or anything. I'm trying to preach the truth in love. I want you to listen to this carefully. We have said for years, well, the rear guard is God. God is your rear guard. And boy, that sounds good. That sounds real spiritual. I kind of like that. God's my rear guard. But if we're going to say that and make God the rear guard to the armor, why teach anything else practically about the armor? Because how many of you know God is my salvation too? He is my helmet. He is my salvation. How many of you know He is my breastplate? Jesus is my righteousness. Right? So we could just say, let's don't preach anything about righteousness or practicality about the breastplate. God is my righteousness. Do you know God is truth? My girdle is God Himself. He is truth. I don't have some girdle that is a part of truth. God is what my girdle is. He is the truth of my life. He is my peace, my prince of peace that I shod my feet with. He is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. He is my shield. He told Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, I am your shield. He is my faith. The faith I have is the faith of God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't have an inferior faith. I don't have a weak faith. I got the faith of the Son of God. Now, I'm inferior in walking in it. I'm weak sometimes in releasing it. But I got God's faith. So see, if, you, if you're going to spiritualize it like that, then why teach anything else on the armor? I'm telling you, right here in Ephesians chapter 6 is the rear guard. It's in the teaching. And yet we haven't seen it, and that's why we're being defeated. We haven't had a rear guard. And men of God are getting destroyed from the backside. Now I'm going to show it to you. In chapter 6 of Ephesians, verse 10, you're so familiar with this, I'm not going to go through all of this. You got all those things I just stated. After he talks about standing in verse 14, he talks about all the different parts of the armor. Verse 15 talks about your feet. 16, the shield that will quench all the fiery darts of the devil. Helmet of salvation in verse 17. Now watch verse 18. I'm going to show you the rear guard. Paul speaking, verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and... Wait a minute, before I read that, since you got quiet. 
If the Old Testament is types and shadows of things to come and not the very image of those things, and if the Old Testament warfare paints a picture in the natural of something supernatural, why would there be an armor bearer in the Old Testament warfare and there not be an armor bearer in New Testament warfare? That's inconsistency. If there was a rear guard for the Old Testament warfare, there's got to be a rear guard for the New Testament warfare if we're going to stay biblical. Thank you. Verse 18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching. Everybody say watching. Watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Paul said watch for each other and watch for me. Paul said we are each other's rear guard. Paul's saying to him, watch for me. Watch for me. Be my rear guard because as soon as I get through preaching to you, saints, I'm going to leave and I'm attacking religious spirits and, and the gates of hell are coming against me and they're trying to kill me because I am countering religion of my culture. And I'm telling you, says Paul, they're going to try to come up the backside. As soon as I leave, they're going to try to come in and undermine me. They're going to try to come in and discredit me. They're going to come in and, and try to, to stab me and my teaching and preaching in the back. But you watch for me. And you watch for each other. We have some serious times ahead. And not only is the warfare in the spirit world intensifying and men of God need armor bearers. Listen, we may at the turn of this millennium, finally need each other, saints. We may need to begin to watch for each other in a way that in our culture we haven't had to. We're so blessed in America, we at least think we don't need each other. Things may not always be as they appear today in our culture. And there may come a day we actually need each other. That we watch out for each other and protect each other and guard each other against not only spiritual forces that rob us of faith, but even natural forces that try to destroy our lives. We haven't had a rear guard and the enemy's defeatness. We need to receive a call from the Lord of this ministry and we need to be the pastor's rear guard and watch for him. Watch for him. Pray for him and watch for him. Somebody tries to come in the back door. Well, you know, about 25 years ago, pastor was down there in Guatemala and went, uh -uh. I'm watching for my pastor. No, 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 no. Let's go. Let's go talk to the pastor if you have a problem and, and Satan's hindering you from receiving. Let's go talk to him and let's get this right and get it straight. That stuff hadn't happened. You know, we don't even know church discipline and understand it. If you have ought against any in your heart, against a brother, go to your brother. We go to everybody else but the person we have ought with and, and they're not armor bearers for each other. They ought to go, you know what? I hear your heart. I'll go with you. I'll pray for you. You need to go to them. I'm sure they didn't mean that. Have y'all said things and done things you really didn't mean and when somebody brought it to your attention it just hurt really bad because you didn't mean it that way. But they were hurt and it could have ruined their walk with God down the road and you'd be falsely accused. You didn't mean nothing by it. But you know if we just go to each other and be one another's rear guard we could nip in the bud this foolishness that's killing our churches, saints. Praise the Lord. I thank God that there is a rear guard. <laughs> I thank God that he's given me men and women that will protect my backside, that are loyal, fearless, and that'll defend me unto death. You know, we don't even believe anymore what Jesus said about great love, of love that a man would give his life for his friend. We need to get to the point that we'd give our lives for each other. I'm not there with all of you. Now, there's some people I'd give my life for. There's some of you I don't care for very much yet. 
And I'm not there, but I'm getting there. Amen? Are, are you there? Are you willing to give your life for everybody? I don't think so, if you're honest. But we're growing. Amen? Well, one, one way we can give our life is by no longer yielding our heart and tongue over to the enemy of our soul and let him just keep coming in and raping our churches. Amen?